Hello, my name is Ethan Hewlin. Like you, I live in a world that never stops moving. Also like you, I have stories. These are my stories. The true stories of a tryhard. Welcome back to True Stories of a Triad. I'm Ethan Hewlin, and this week I have once again welcomed back a guest. Please welcome all the way back from episode one, Jess Vandermott. Jess, welcome. Hi, everyone. I'm happy to be back. So, listeners, I would say discretion is advised in this particular episode. This is going to be a bit heavier than some of the other topics we have covered in the past. So, if you don't think you're ready for that yet or want to wait till another time, this is your warning. So this week, we are going to be talking about um, generational mental illness. So Jess, can you start us off with a little bit of what's happened in your family related to that? Yeah, so, um, so as you said, like generational trauma or generational mental illness, it covers multiple generations in your family. Um, so obviously all the listeners now know that I have mental health stuff because we've talked about it last time I was on, but I myself have depression and anxiety and PTSD. And we've recently found out my mom has bipolar, um, so bipolar disorder, and she also has like anxiety and stuff like that. And it turns out that the reasons my mom and I both have mental health disorders is due to a traumatic event my grandmother lived through as a child. And that traumatic event gave her depression, anxiety, and PTSD. And therefore, the way she raised my mom kind of affected my mom's mental health. And then the way my mom raised me affected my mental health. So we can track back like all the issues I have back to my grandmother's generation and what happened to her when she was a child. My story isn't exactly the same, but um, my mom and I were both affected by the way my dad treated us in the past. My dad is a very critical person, both of himself and of other people. So it seemed like there was no chance for my mom, me, or any of my sisters to do anything right. And even beyond us, it seemed like even total strangers he would scrutinize for no apparent reason. And that led to me having anxiety, my mom having anxiety over, am I doing this right? Or... Is this what dad would want, etc.? And that really affected both my childhood as well as into my adulthood, which is right now. So that's where I'm coming from on this particular issue. Yeah. No, it's interesting, like, from my story, because it is, like through the women because there was like my grandmother and then my um, my mom and my aunt my mom's sister also has mental health stuff and then like obviously I have mental health stuff and there's this kind of idea of if 
I were to repeat the cycle with my own child because I'm pregnant right now, then they, it won't stop. This generational trauma could continue for like hundreds of years even. How big of a concern is it that your future child is going to have to deal with this? It's definitely something that's on my mind just because I know how much my mom raising me in the way she did affected me. Like that I live with triggers on a daily basis and mental health stuff on a daily basis that I can't kind of escape. So there's definitely a big sense of responsibility that if I don't break the cycle, I might be making it worse or at least like continuing it. Um, But then you also, I think, have to remind yourself that the trauma isn't my own like in my case it's my grandmother's trauma that's being kind of passed down and because it's not mine I am able to like stop it continuing and and I am able to control what I teach my child if that makes sense. Do you think that it is purely a genetic um, it's really genetics fault or do you think that through practice that that can be corrected? I think there's a nature versus nurture argument to be had. Um, So like, for example, with me, my mom first realized I had anxiety when I was about 18 months old. So that's extremely young to have like a mental health issue going on. Um, So that's kind of part of the genetic side. But I think like the way my mom raised me was with a lot of stress and anxiety because she herself has anxiety. So it'd be stuff like if we're on the bus and our stop is the next stop, she'd be telling me like, you have to get up, you have to get to the door, like we can't miss the stop. And that would like increase my own anxiety about missing our stop. So there's definitely one aspect that I know I won't be able to control. There is a genetic aspect, it seems, of generational trauma. But there is a lot that I can still with how I act in front of my children and how I act towards them. I can still help kind of lessen the blow of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I think that, um, like, while that, um, while trauma can be passed down and mental illness can be passed down genetically, that there are steps that you can take both as an individual and if you are in a parental position, you can also put in place. And also just making a conscious decision to be around people who have a more, um, positive outlook just in general and mm-hmm. um, to improve your own outlook on purpose if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely as I was saying just reminding myself whenever I have a really bad day and I feel like I can't get out of it the fact that I can remind myself that this mental stuff that I'm going through isn't my own some of it is just purely my own but some of it is my mom's issues and some of it's my grandmother's issues so it's not all on me and it's not all my fault and I can still get through it because some of this stuff isn't a burden that I have to carry anymore yeah and I feel like there are some members of my family who have um mental health issues but aren't willing to come forward with them um it can be dismissed as like oh that's just how they are rather than them accepting that that's a problem that needs to be dealt with 
Yeah. Well, as I said, we've only just kind of realized my mom has bipolar disorder because up until this point in her life, she always said like, nothing's wrong with me. I don't have anxiety. I'm just an anxious person. I don't have anxiety. I just get stressed easily. So she was finding ways of excusing what was going on, which hasn't helped her be able to face and then deal with what's going on. And in turn, her diagnosis allowed us to realize that there's something deeper here. And therefore we could find out what like where it all started and it's allowed all of us my mum my aunt and myself to heal a lot more because now as I say there isn't that element of it's purely my fault so it has helped to get a proper diagnosis but it's very typical I think for people to just say oh I'm not I don't have anxiety I'm just anxious so how do you well how did that affect your mom finding out at the age that she is now as opposed to finding out much younger how does she react to that um so she really struggled with accepting that she was sick a big part of that is also just her generation my mom's in her mid 50s and so growing up mental health wasn't really a discussion like you didn't have anxiety you were just stressed you didn't have depression you were just sad and so she struggled a lot with accepting that she had something and especially her diagnosis is quite a big one because it is bipolar and there isn't really a cure for bipolar disorder and you just kind of have to just deal with it and learn to manage it and I know it took her a few months to fully accept that this was her new life and that there was nothing she could do my mom's very much a problem solving kind of person and I think finding out that she has a disorder that you can't solve really bothered her and it took her a long time to fully accept that this is her new life that's similar to how I felt, but at a much younger age. I was first really diagnosed with anxiety at 10 years old when I first started going to therapy, which was months after my mom and dad had divorced, which didn't make anything any easier. And through talks with my therapist and um, just me kind of going through my own experiences, I began to realize, like, yes, I have this problem, but I can also control how much it affects me. Yeah, I think that's something my mom is still working on, is accepting that she can do something about it. It's not like that's it you've got bipolar and you're stuck and I think for her finding out that this is linked to what happened to my grandmother has actually helped her accept it more because there's that side of this isn't my fault and this isn't something I've done and I can just move forward from it and I don't have to try and kind of fix what happened behind me because my mom's not very good at like fixing things that have happened she just kind of keeps trudging forward no matter what And so I think for her, it was quite liberating to know that this isn't her fault kind of thing. Yeah, that can be very liberating because, you know, as I mentioned a few seconds ago, my parents divorced when I was nine years old. And I thought, as a lot of kids do come to find out, that I thought it was my fault. Like there was something that I did along the way that um, made my parents um, made my parents' marriage fail at some point. When in reality, 
most, if, well, none of it really was ever my fault. And to a certain extent, I still have a hard time believing that. But it does not, I don't think of it as my problem as much anymore as I used to. Yeah, I definitely had that with my mom's diagnosis um, because my mom was severely abusive of me when I was growing up and she would blame me for a lot of things. Um, So, for example, my mom's a heavy drinker and she would tell me that the reason she drinks is because I'm such a horrible person to be around, that she doesn't want to be at home with me, so she goes to drink instead. And then kind of finding out that she has bipolar and that's why she acts the way she does and she says what she says it really helped me realize that it's not my fault that I was being abused and though that's what she was saying it's not it's also not her fault she was saying this so it kind of helped remove blame for myself but also stop helped me stop blaming her for everything so there was definitely a sense of release with realizing that everything isn't my fault I definitely understand where you're coming from on that like I am so hard on myself that if other people have a problem, my first instinct is to say, what did I do? Yeah. How did I cause this? Yeah, I I definitely have an aspect of that also. And so that's caused me to kind of put this filter on myself when I'm in public of like, I want to tread very, very lightly because I don't want to hurt this person. Mm-hmm. And that's been a concern of mine for a very long time, despite some people saying that I have a bit of a um, blunt personality and way of speaking. So I don't know. Sometimes I just don't know. Like sometimes I just feel like a living contradiction. Yeah, I definitely get that. Especially because I say being a child of abuse and always being blamed for my abuse. I always just assume if something goes wrong in someone's life, it it must be me. I've somehow caused this thing to go wrong. And I think I spend a lot of my energy trying to fix other people's problems in the hopes that like it negates whatever it is that I believe I did to them but the the reality is and this is something that I still struggle with is that no matter what you do or how much you worry it's not going to end up fixing anything down the line yeah And that's something I'm having to kind of come to terms with and accept that there's no amount of worrying and stuff that's going to change anything. And yet, I still do it. Oh yeah, all the time. Always worried. (laughs) I, I can only imagine what it's like to be in your situation with a child on the way and if there's, you know, if there's complications with the child or something doesn't seem 100% correct you just I I just don't know I cannot imagine what it's like to be expecting especially how late you are 
Yeah, yeah. So for um, listeners, I'm due in about five weeks. So I'm right at the end. And a big thing you're taught when you're pregnant is um, like the fetus will feel your emotions. And it's been shown that women who have high levels of anxiety or depression in their pregnancies can kind of pass that anxiety and depression down onto their fetus, which is kind of how I ended up with anxiety and depression. A big part of that was my mom was super anxious when she was pregnant because she was worried about being a bad mom, which is kind of ironic. (laughs) Um, And it's been something... I've been really lucky I haven't had antenatal anxiety and depression but the few times I have had like a normal level of anxiety or stress I immediately start spiraling and think that's it I'm ruining this child I'm going to give them anxiety it's going to be my fault they're going to like they're going to need years and years of therapy because of this and I have to kind of pull back and realize that it's not one moment of stress or one moment of anxiety or one moment of depression that's going to ruin them and they're not going to be ruined anyway if they have a mental health issue that's normal everybody does at this point but there's a lot of like blaming and looking at myself and critiquing myself and everything I do and let's say just a normal moment of anxiety I'll start spiraling which makes me even more anxious which makes me spiral more because I feel like I'm doing more harm and yeah it's not great (laughs) Yeah, I know how you feel with the with the spiraling. I actually it was about a week ago that I had just a, almost a whole day where I just felt trapped. Like I'm going to use an analogy. Uh, I'm using an analogy here. I felt like I was at I was going down a whirlpool, just spinning and always going down no matter what and didn't feel like I could escape. Is that something that you have experienced or are experiencing? Uh, Yeah, I mean, as of yesterday, I had a little spiral moment. (laughs) Uh, It's definitely something I've experienced my whole life, both with anxiety, depression, and like PTSD is that once it kind of starts, I find especially those three different disorders kind of like Mm. feed off of each other. And so kind of make each other worse each time. And I've definitely had days or weeks even where I'm just spiraling out of control and I lose a sense of reality. Um, And I lose sense of what's actually happening. And I'm just lost in my little world of what ifs and anxiety bubble instead of looking at the reality. And it's not actually that bad if you look at the reality. But pulling yourself out of a spiral to be able to look at what's actually going on is really hard. What has helped pull you out of that spiral? Um, So my partner, Ben, is really good at realizing when I'm spiraling. And he helps pull me out by like sitting down with me and saying what is it that you're worried about and so I'll say whatever it is like for example I'm worried about giving our child really bad anxiety and he says okay why are you worried about this and so that's when I start kind of listing everything I'm spiraling about and we look at each point and look at what it is I think and what is the actual truth to that so like if I'm worried about giving our child anxiety because I was anxious yesterday we look at the fact that pretty much every single pregnant woman feels anxious at some point in her pregnancy it's completely normal and yet that doesn't immediately mean the child will be born with really bad anxiety and so we each time we take what it is that I think and we compare with the truth 
Um, so that's been really, really useful to have kind of an external person who isn't spiraling, who can talk me down. And then I mentioned last time I was on Nanny, my little dog, she helps me a lot. Because <laughs> she can help with physical touch by like sitting on my chest that calms down the sympathetic nervous system and she licks my face and it forces me to stop thinking and to just look at what's happening around me right now because when a dog's licking your face you can't really ignore that and so that's really been helpful to kind of make me stop going what if what if what if and going okay this is what's happening to me right now and I can go through it step by step instead of spiraling. I need more dogs in my life. If I'm being perfectly honest. Dogs are great. Well, I mean, there is a dog in my life. He's just very far away. Yeah, you need him closer. Yes, that unfortunately is not a luxury I have at the present time. So, um, I, I actually have been making use of some of our local animal shelters who are always willing to have people go in and play with their puppies or just or some of the other dogs who have been um who've been taken in that's good that's really good yeah there's a there's an adoption center somewhat close to my house that I've visited on more than one occasion to play with some puppies so I can calm down. No. It's always we it always comes back to dogs with you, doesn't it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Oops. I'm not opposed to that. I just think it's funny. Oh, it's just cuz she's my whole world because um so Nanny isn't training to be a psychiatric service dog, so she is literally saving my life in a way. Um, and so that's why mm -hmm. I think I was just turned back to her because she's such a big part of my mental health journey. Like without her, I would not be as stable and as healed as I am. I love that for you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> my girlfriend really wants her dog to be, to be a service dog, but sadly because it's the family's dog, uh, her parents have a few things to say about that. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. But I'm sure, you know, at some point I'll be able to adopt a dog of my own who can help me with that sort of thing. I'm sure you will, especially like once you've like moved out and you're living in your own place and stuff, it becomes a lot easier. Yeah, that will definitely help. But sadly that is farther away than i would like yeah growing up is hard <laughs> you can say that again and i'm only beginning to realize how hard it is you've been in this for a while are you saying i'm you're old on a completely different level than... <laughs> no it's okay you can i feel old <laughs> you're only what five years older than me four years older than me yeah five i'm 24 so is that five okay i turned 20 in june Ew. yeah this is hard jess no i'm okay i'm currently being kicked in the pelvis which is great 
by the fetus before anybody worries that something's happening <laughs> while we're recording. <laughs> <sighs> Bubble, please be nice to your mom. We like you. We like her. They got told off by the midwife last time we got checked because they were so and this kind of relates back to like anxiety and stuff they were so wriggly so you know when you like do exercise your heart rate goes up mm-hmm. um and so a fetus every time you get checked like every time you see a midwife they check the fetus's heartbeat to make sure that like they're okay and because uh bubble which is the nickname for the fetus was super super wriggly their heartbeat was way high they're supposed to have between 130 and 160 beats per minute and bubble was at around 175 beats per minute and so she was saying like it's because they're wiggling at the moment that's why but medically i'm not allowed to send you home you have to go to the hospital and get more checks so obviously that's great with my anxiety. I immediately started freaking out because even though I know it's because they're wiggling and that's normal and a wiggly baby is actually a happy and healthy baby, I was still worried because like we have to go to the hospital and at that point I was about 34 weeks and so there was kind of the possibility if things are going wrong they may decide to induce me like I may end up having a baby that day which obviously is me spiraling (laughs) but there was still that thought there and so we had to go to the hospital and I was tied up to machines for about 30 minutes where they check the baby's heartbeat and every time I feel the move I have to like click on a button so they can see when they're moving so that they know if the heartbeat is high because they're moving a lot and that was exactly the problem we had and by the end of the half hour the doctor's like yeah you can go home you're completely fine but that whole half hour I was spiraling and thinking like oh my god what if they notice something's wrong what if I have to go get a c-section what if they have to induce me like are we like ready even though I know we're ready because of my anxiety we have everything we need for the baby already but it was still this moment of like how are we going to cope what are we going to do what and I was just spiraling for about 45 minutes in total yeah and it turned out I was spiraling for nothing when we're completely fine. <laughs> Isn't that how it turns out most of the time? At least that's how it has in my experience. Yeah, you tend to panic over things that you've kind of created in your head. Like, as I say, in this case, my midwife said multiple times she was not worried and it was nothing to be worried about. And she was only sending me to the hospital because medically she has to. But if it was up to her, she would send me home because obviously the baby was just moving a lot and that's why the heart rate was up but in my head it was this like dramatic scenario of oh my god what's going to happen to us um so I think we tend to spiral because we're not listening to what's actually happening we're listening to our own brain it's like the the situation where somebody says everybody remain calm and everybody just starts freaking out Like, why are you telling us to be calm? Is there a reason we shouldn't be calm? What's going on here? Tell me more. Why are we doing this? Why do you need us to be calm? I'm not going to conform to you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of the reasons they say, like, for example, if if you know a child is going to get their hair cut for the first time, don't say, oh, don't worry, it won't hurt you. Because then they're immediately like, why are you telling me it's not going to hurt me? Why would it hurt? What's going on? And then they freak out and panic about it. Humans like to panic over things we're told not to panic about. That is unfortunately true. And like, it, I don't know how I don't know how it is for you, um, over on your side of the world, but 
currently we are under a state of international emergency because of coronavirus. Yep. So, um, people are freaking out about that, mostly due to misinformation. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know exactly where all of that came from or where it's going to go, but I'm hoping that the mass hysteria will calm down soon. Yeah, I've definitely noticed a lot of um, like hysteria and panic, especially, as you say, based off of misinformation. Um, and it's coming a lot, I've noticed, from younger people, like teenagers seem to be the ones who are panicking the most. Uh, I think a big part of that is this is the first real medical outbreak they're seeing. Like, I'm a bit older, so I remember the SARS outbreak and swine flu and bird flu, and I remember, like, living through those. But for a lot of 14, 15-year-olds, this is the first one that they're conscious about. And we know that teenagers nowadays have higher levels of anxiety And I think that doesn't correlate well with all the misinformation that's online because, again, instead of pausing and stopping and reading the article and checking the sources, they're just reading headlines and going, oh, my God, this is the newest headline and this is what's happening. And they're not giving Mm -hmm. themselves time to stop and not spiral. And I think that's kind of what's happening at the moment is a lot of people are just spiraling instead of stopping and like looking at facts but obviously as we were saying it's really hard to stop yourself from spiraling once you've started so that is quite true so just before we close this out do you have any kind words or words of encouragement to share with the tryhards who are listening right now be patient with yourself and with your mental health and be patient with those around you. Um, I often say healing from any health issue, be it physical or mental, it's a marathon and not a sprint and you just need to take your time. And if you need to, like when you're running a marathon, if you have a cramp in your leg and you need to stop, that's okay. And it's the same thing with mental health. If you're struggling with something, it's okay to slow down and focus on that aspect before you take on the mammoth task of everything else. So yeah, just be patient and be kind to yourself. Thank you, Jess. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in once again to True Stories of a Tryhard. You can find me on Instagram at ethan.t.hewlin. You can find me on Twitter at etphonehome. The O's are zeros and the E's are threes. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at True Stories Pod. Jess, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at divejess and on Twitter at storydiver. I'll be back with more stories next week. So until then, this is Ethan Hewlin and Jess Vandermott. Signing off.